Isn't that good? I want you to know a little story about that uh, song she just sang. A while ago, she practiced it, and I said, Well, sing with you if you want me to. She said, No, thanks. I can do better by myself. Well, not exactly, but it's it's close anyway. <laughs> if you will, turn with, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Now, let me fill in a little bit what's taking place here because uh, our Wednesday night Bible study uh, just finished the back book of Romans, and it just it was a, a long study. I think uh, we started in uh, when I got here in, in 15, and we're, we just finished it last week. So it just, but it wasn't my fault. They just didn't listen fast enough. So that's what it was. But uh, here's a, a a passage that's a little bit unusual. In fact, it could be somewhat offensive. Offensive if you look at it just by itself. Look in Romans chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. I'm going to ask you would to stand with me as we read these words together. Romans chapter 9, verse 19 through 22. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the, ves- uh, from, uh, from the same lump of clay uh, to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he that might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Let's stop right there. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and read verse 33. I will call them my people who were not my people, and beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called Sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as a sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. He, for he will wish, finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make it short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath is left and had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were by the works of the law... For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this word you've given us this morning. And Lord, even though it can be challenging to us to understand what's really been said there, Lord, we just open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word as you speak to us. Go with us over these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Like I said, we just finished the book of Romans. Took us about four years to get there, but we did it. But it's this is one of the most confusing statements that's ever been made in this passage we just read. Because as you heard a little bit of in Romans chapter 9, he said, God said, now listen to these words, Jacob I have loved, Esau I hated. Now does that sound like a comment that God would make? But stay with me a minute. We know that that's not really talking about people. That's talking about nations. And so there's a lot there that we can learn from. About He says a little bit farther. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will harden who I, have, who I will harden. Now that, that doesn't seem fair, that God's going to harden some hearts and is going to just hate some people groups. That's what it sounds like he says. But keep in mind, he's not talking about people. He's talking about nations at this time. If you go back and look at it, you'll see he's talking to the nations he's speaking to. <clears throat> this chapter is challenging. There's no doubt about it. I heard it once described by a, man, by a preacher man. But he said that Romans is a book like a mountain range. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. But come to chapter 9 and said that's the peak of all the mountains. So... We need to look at this and see what he's saying to us because it's very important. In Romans chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, again, let me read that. He already anticipates what his audience is going to say. So here he says, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, old man, you, who, you, are you, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed try to, him, to say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel of honor and one of dishonor? Keep your Bibles open for a few minutes because we're going to be hitting back on that passage right there. But did you hear what Paul just wrote to us? People were beginning to say, you know, What's going on here? Why is this? So forth. And he tells, he gives us a great passage right here. Number one, don't resist God's plan. Did you realize that God has a plan for every person in this room? And it's different from anybody else's. It's something different that he wants you to do that he didn't call me to do or anybody else in this room perhaps. But he gives us this passage. Don't resist, resist God's plan. He wants to mold you. God's shaping process is often confusing. The first point Paul is trying to make in this is don't resist God's plan. Make sure you don't resist God's plan for your life. You say, well, how do I know that plan for my life? If you seek it, you'll find it. That's what God said. He'll show it to you. It's not a hide-and-seek game. He will show you what he wants you to do in this lifetime. And he will bring you to that point. As you're sitting there, most, most of you are look at me. Did you realize that I'm not a finished product yet? I knew that would get a comment, but it just, <laughs> I wasn't expecting from that side. You know, my good brother that I love so much, I wouldn't expect him to do that. But God, God is not finished with us yet. In fact, he won't be finished with you until he take the last breath you'll ever take. 
then the process will be over. But God says, I'm still working on you. I'm still building you. I'm still making you into what I want you to be. He's the potter in this picture. Guess what we are? We're just the old lumps of clay. That's all we are. Nothing special about it. Because he wants to make, to mold you and to make you into something special. One of these days, we're all going to be sort of special. We'll be a finished product. We're not there yet. When you look at me, I've still got some old wrinkles in myself. I mean, I've still got some warts on my body. I've still got things that I'm not proud of. But one of these days, he's going to complete me in the process, and then I will be done in the sense. He wants to fashion you, to shape you. Somebody says, well, well I feel pretty moldy today. Well, I'm not talking about that. There may be some here that way. But he's trying to say, like a potter shapes clay into something beautiful, God the Father is trying to shape you and me into something that he sees as beautiful. Now, I better leave that one alone. I just better not go there. It's going to get me in trouble real quick. That's why the first thing I want you to notice about this process is that God's shaping process is often confusing to us. <laughs> it's often confusing to us. We don't understand what God's doing with us. Here's a potter who takes a big old clump of lay, of clay, a lump of clay. <laughs> clay no, you don't want to talk about it. He plops that lump of clay down on the spinning wheel. He takes his hands and he roughly fashions it into the shape he wants it to be, the consistency. He adds some water. He throws in some more sand until it gets the right consistency he wants it to be. And then, if it's not exactly what he wants it to be, he just sort of collapses it, makes it into a ball, and starts all over. That's how it's It's done. Then he fashions into something else. He may have in his mind a beautiful vase to put flowers in. So he forms and shapes that the right way so it will have that appearance of it. It may be that he just wants it to be something, just a bowl or something. Like that. that may be the purpose of it. But can you imagine what that clay would be saying as he was forming what in the world are you doing to me? I'm getting dizzy spinning on this wheel like this. I'm drowning from this water you keep pouring in on me. I'm choking from this sand, and this heat, after he fires it up, is getting hot. The clay doesn't like it much. But the potter knows what he is doing. In this picture, again, we're the clay, and he is the potter. God's the potter. Sometimes we get so confused about what is he's doing in our lives, but all we need to do is just trust him. Remember, this is the God that gave us life. He wants to make us into something special. He's got a purpose for you. you say, well, wait a minute, I, I, I don't know if I agree because I'm, I'm already well up in years. If God hadn't finished with you yet, he's still working on you. And God's got something he wants to do with you. It may be he wants you to be a Sunday school teacher. It may he be he wants you to be in the choir. It, it could be numerous things. But trust me, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. 
And the only time you will be finished is when you take your last breath and then you're already in heaven, the next breath. And so God wants to do something in our lives. The second thing we see here, God can already see the finished product. God knows exactly what you'll be like one of these days. You may not be there yet. You just may be an old moldy piece of clay right now. I don't know. I like to read the Bible called The Message. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. There's a, there's a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. I like to read it. Now, I don't use it for preaching. I use the New King James Version 99% of the time. But let me tell you about this, this Bible. It was written by a man named Eugene Peterson. He didn't write the Bible. He didn't write the stories we know in the Bible so forth. He, he's the one that wrote the message. As you're shopping for Bibles, you need to understand the difference between a version and a paraphrase. Because there's many of them out there. A version, like this one I was reading out of, is the New King James Version. That's what I use 99% of the time. On the other hand, a paraphrase is just a, some person. In this case, it was Eugene Peterson that decided he would write a modern Bible, if you will. I guess that's the best way to describe it. And what he does, he doesn't. Let me back up a minute. The aversion is always from the uh, early days of the, the, it goes back to the Bible, the scripts and so forth, and makes it out of that. A, a paraphrase is just this man's vision of what's being said to us. He puts it in the common vernacular of English that we know. And so that's the difference, too. Nothing wrong with either one. The, the newer one, the, the uh, message is sometimes just for reading purposes. And it does clarify some things. I'm not going to say you always got it right, but it does. It makes it easy. It's sort of like reading a book. And so that's the difference. Uh, on the other hand, again, a paraphrase is just some person who takes a version and changes it and makes it more modern vernacular. I want to listen to the way that Eugene Peterson kind of paraphrases this passage of Scripture we just read. Because at least it makes a little more sense to me. Now, I'm, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't make sense. I'm not saying that. It just puts in the language, oh, yeah, I understand what you're saying to me. Listen to this. He writes, who in the world do you think you are to second-guess God? Do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay does not talk back to the fingers molding it, saying, why did you shape me this way? Isn't it obvious a potter has perfect, the perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a vase holding beautiful flowers and another into a pot holding cook, cooking beans? If God needs one style of pottery, especially designed to show his angry displeasure, and another style carefully to show his glorious goodness, isn't that all right since he's God? In other words, God has the, do, has the right to do what God does. The reason we sometimes don't understand what he's doing is because we are still in the process of being molded to what he wants us to be. We can't, but in the mind of the potter, he already has a picture of us, what we're going to be. Isn't it good to know in the mind and in the heart of God, he already has a picture of what you and I are going to be become in Christ one of these days. 
Now, again, I don't use the message. I've got a copy of it. I like to read it sometimes because it puts it into a different context. But he said the same words. Well, not exactly the words, but he says the same thought process. The problem is right now we're still under construction. When you look up here at me, I'm not the finished product of what I'm going to be. God is going to change me in some ways to become more of what He wants me to be. And the same thing with each one of us. If you're breathing here this morning, you're not finished product. And God's still working on you. I remember years ago, I believe it was the Gaithers that came up with a song, the third little song, little kid song, He's Still Working on Me. Wasn't that the Gaithers, if I recall right? Uh, I forget all the words that go to it, but that little song just put this into my mind that He's still working on me. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you're still living, you're still being worked on. God's not finished with you. But God also has certain things He wants from you. He desires you to do certain things in your life, even as we get older, that only you can do. That's what God desires from each one of us. Let's go ahead a little bit farther. The good news is that God's not through with me yet. And he's not through with you either, for that matter. When you read Romans 9, you, you find out God is a sovereign God, that he has to do the right, he has the right to do anything he wants to. I can't say to God, God, that's not fair what you did to me, because he has the sovereign right to do anything he wants to with me. He may tomorrow just put me back in a clump of clay and just start all over. I don't know. But the point is, God loves us so much, He's designed a will for your life. He wants you to be the best you can be in whatever capacity, whether it be at work, whether it be at church, whether it be at both of them, whether it be at school, just no matter what it is, God wants to give you the best. And He can only do that when He molds you into what He wants you to be. That's mind-blowing if you think about it. That God cares enough about me, little old me, that he's going to take the time to make it what he wants it to be, a useful vessel. If we're not here today, that's where we need to be. Let's move on a little farther. For many of us, our problem is our God is too small. For many of us, we have stuffed God, our conception of God, let me back up, into some little box, and that's where we want to keep him there. We run through the week, and we say things like, we may not say this actually, but we think things like this. God, you just stay. I'm going to put you in this little box. I'll put you there. When Sunday morning comes back, I'll take you back to church with me. And we leave him out of our lives most days. We have a God in a box. We carry him around every week, and we bring him out a little bit. When we come to church on Sunday morning, then we stick him back in the box during the week, and nobody ever sees him in our life. That sort of reminds me of when I was a kid. Uh, not that I was mischievous or anything, but I remember one Christmas, one New Year's Eve. Uh, Christmas had passed. It was right before New, New Year's Eve. and You know, they always shoot off fireworks at New Year's Eve. And now my older brother, I guess he thought I was gullible. But it's we had back then what we used to call cherry bombs. Did y'all know what that is? It's just a, a bigger fire. I mean, it had a pop to it. It was powerful. 
I think they've even outlawed them now, but we had some back then. There was a little firecracker stand just not far from our house, and so we went down and bought some. We bought some cherry bombs. Oh, they'd be fun. Now, I'm going to tell you I did this, but don't tell anybody, because now it's a federal offense to do this. We were out on the out in front of our house on the road we lived on and so forth, and I decided I'm going to put one in the mailbox. Wouldn't that be neat? And I put it in there. I opened that door up so I could light it. Reached in there with that lighter and lit that thing. Ran out of the way. Got out of there real quick. All of a sudden, kaboom! The top of that mailbox flew about 20 foot in the air. The back part, I don't think they've ever found it yet. I don't know where it went. But it just so happened about that time, my dad walked out on the front porch what are y'all doing out here? And, of course, my brother, older brother says, he's the one that did it. And, well, let me just say, it lasted a lasting impression on me when he got through. I'll just leave it there. You, you can read it what you want it to be. But do you know what the, what the problem was with that mailbox and that cherry bomb? The mailbox could not contain the power of that explosion. And they were powerful. It has nowhere else to go, so it just knocked the sides and the top off and shot it in the air. I didn't have any idea to do that. Like I say, I've now found out that if you do that, that's a federal offense. Do you know that? I mean, seriously. Now, this is back 20 years ago or so, and it just, uh, it, but, but it, it destroyed this thing. Now, the worst part is that we didn't get much of allowance, and my dad made us go and buy a new mailbox. That was several weeks of working that we had to give to that stupid mailbox just because it wasn't strong enough to hold what we did. But anyway, when you read Romans chapter 9 and when you read Psalms 139 and many other passages of scriptures, what it does, it just explodes our concept of who God is. I would encourage you to go back and read this chapter of what God's written to us. This is a fascinating... In fact, I, if I'm not right, and Miss Utana can correct me, when we were going through this study, chapter 9 took us about six weeks, didn't it? Six, about, about six weeks. It's got so much stuff contained in it. But it talks about you and me. We are the subject of most of it. So instead of arguing with God, resisting against God, saying, God, are you sure you know what I, you're doing with my life? We need to just fall in line and say, God... Just show me what you want me to do. And it would change so many things in our life. That's the first thing Paul is saying here. The second thing he's saying, don't ignore God's wrath. He wants to warn you. Notice the second thing he's saying. Romans chapter 9, verse 22 through 24. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. You know who the Gentiles are? We's the Gentiles. Well, most of them. There may be some Jewish people in here, but I don't think I know of that. But God made, he's talking to us. 
Yes, the Jews disappointed him in several ways. Paul's basically saying, so what if God decided he's going to show his wrath against sin? That only makes our mercy more valuable. God's mercy is overwhelming in our lives. He's going to quote Hosea and then Isaiah. Look at what he says, Romans 9, 25 and 26. As God says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my beloved who is not my, not my loved one. Talking about the Gentiles, he then goes on. And it will happen that in every place where it was said to them, you are not my people, then they shall be called the sons of the living God. Doesn't that sound confusing? But watch what he's saying. Notice he's saying to us in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 9, uh, Romans 9, 27, 28. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. What's he talking about? How long was Jesus upon the earth? Roughly 33 years. That's a pretty short time in the picture of eternity. God's doing exactly what he said he would do. In this section, Paul's talking about God's wrath. I know a lot of people that don't like to talk about God's wrath. That gets too personal. They'd rather talk about God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's what people like to talk about. But God says, wait a minute, there's also another side. It's called the wrath of God. God's grace. Well, it, it's in the Bible. The God of love is also the God of wrath. And you can't ignore that part of it. You have to understand that some things about God's wrath. Notice a couple of things here that he says. God's wrath is always mixed with mercy. Right now, currently, his wrath is mixed with mercy. Let's just say I had a bottle up here of pure 100% wrath. Right now, God has mixed the two of these together. And so that mercy sort of soothes and calms down the wrath. But one of these days, you know, the Bible teaches us that God's mercy is going to be taken out of this world. There's a time we've been studying the book of Revelations for the last year, I guess. It's called the Great Tribulation. What is the Great Tribulation? Look at what nine, uh, chapter uh, Romans nine twenty two. What if God wanted to show His wrath to make His power known, endured with such long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Then, if you flip over to Second Peter chapter three verse nine, it says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish." but that all should come to repentance. And we've been studying the book of Revelations for quite a while. And one other thing, in fact, if you start about chapter 6, I believe it is, and go to the end of the book, you'll see what God's wrath is. In fact, we're doing that through two of those chapters tonight. So be here for that. But God's wrath 
even in the time of tribulation, is going to be there. Several times he said, and God poured out his wrath on the earth. Now, here's the good thing. Don't worry about it if you're a child of God because we're already out of here. We made an exit. God called us home. But there will still be people living on this world, the Bible tells us, that will go through that challenging time. And, folks, it will not be a time you want to be a part of. And just for the record, I believe God can come back at any moment right now. That's how close I think it is. Yes, I believe in this thing called the tribulation coming toward us. Some of you read those books that uh, some years ago, some about 10 years ago, that uh, Tim LaHaye wrote called the Left Behind series. Y'all, anybody read those? Okay, I, I just They're very good books, and I've read them myself, but it just... You have to remember these are fiction books and movies that came out as a movie also. But I do agree with Tim LaHaye and the others in the belief that the next thing that's going to happen is Jesus Christ is going to come back to rapture the church. There is, according to these writers, that they study this revelation very closely, there is nothing that needs to happen before Jesus comes back. Wow, it got quite quiet, didn't it? Everything that needs by the Bible needs to be done has been done, and Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. If you don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to be, go to Revelation chapter 6 through 18, I believe it was, and see what takes place. Believe me, you will not want to be here. But the only way you can escape before is if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's the only way. God's wrath has been revealed throughout history. God's wrath has been revealed. It's been demonstrated or revealed throughout history. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Can you think of some examples when God poured out his wrath on planet earth? What about Noah and the ark? That was God's wrath. That boat represented Jesus, the the sacrifice for us, that we could stay in it. God sent a flood and destroyed all the people of the earth, but it was mixed with mercy. What did God do there? Well, because uh, Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah, (coughs) what did God do there? Well, because there was so much evil and wickedness, In those cities, the Bible says God sent down fire from heaven and destroyed those wicked cities. But his wrath was also mixed with mercy, even at that time. And he let Lot and his family leave without being killed. You see what I'm saying? His wrath is mixed with mercy right now. I could give you other demonstrations, but we don't have time for it this morning. The year was 586 B.C. Jerusalem stood as a beautiful city with Solomon's golden temple that had just been completed. Gorgeous building that had just built. God sent his wrath on the city of Jerusalem through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed that beautiful temple that had just been built. For 1,700 years, they did not even think about going back to what they called the Holy Land. 
Throughout history, God was, has given example after example after example. Do you know what he's saying to us? He's saying, pay attention, class. I'm trying to teach you something here. Have you ever been out driving on a highway and you see a little bit of, you going a little bit over the speed limit? All of a sudden, you see a highway patrolman pulling behind you. That old lump comes up in that throat. Oh, boy, he got me. Well, most of you will slow down, don't you? Even if he doesn't catch you. That serves as a warning. Most of you will hopefully not get a ticket the first time. Well, God's judgment is upon coming upon America. The question I have is, I don't know why God is withholding his punishment, his judgment on America as morally and wickedly as we've become as a nation. I don't know why he's waiting. We sing that song, Amazing Grace, but we don't ever think about the words of that song. The verse says, For grace that taught my heart to what? To fear. We're supposed to be afraid of God? No. We're supposed to love him so much that we have that fear that we'll disappoint him in our daily lives. Grace that taught my heart to fear. Fear what? That we lose that fellowship with God. And oh, what a bad situation that would be. Lastly, real quick, don't stumble over God's stone. He wants to save you. Here's a third thing Paul's saying this in the sticky, deep kind of passage. He's saying, don't stumble over God's stone. Do you know what God's stone is? It's the living stone. His name is Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 9, 30 through 33. What shall we say then that the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they, the Jews, did not seek it by faith. But as it, were, as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at a stumbling stone. Then he quotes Isaiah chapter 8. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Why did he say that we trust in it? Who is he talking about the rock? Jesus. Jesus. Then he says in verse 33 of that same passage, And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Religious people often stumble over Jesus. Did you hear me? Religious people often stumble over Jesus. Look in John. Well, you can turn to I'll read it to you, but it's John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You know what he's saying? You can do all you want to of all your works, but if it isn't based in Jesus, it's worthless. I remember when I was in grade school, probably about the fifth grade. I, I can't remember exactly, but it was, I think it was about, again, the fifth grade. But our class went to the lunchroom, and I don't remember the reason. Some reason something happened in our classroom. We had to go to the lunchroom, and we got to watch a movie. It was a Disney movie that I've seen several times since then, but I remember it from even way back then. The daddy in the movie had to go off on a cattle drive, 
and leave the mother and two sons there alone. They get an old mangy yellow dog, and a bear comes, and old yeller chases that bear away. Then a mountain lion comes, and he chases the mountain lion away. Man, I'm really enjoying this movie because that's a good one. This movie, but suddenly toward the end of the movie, the boy takes a gun and shoots old yeller. Now, what did he do that for? I didn't understand why he shot the dog at the time and killed it. But I remember the next day in class, we discussed that movie. And somebody had been thinking like I had been thinking and asked the teacher, why did he shoot that dog? I mean, I remember tears in my eyes because he shot that old dog he loved so much. And I remember the teacher saying, because the dog had rabies. And what does that have to do with us? I didn't have any idea what rabies was at the time. I was clueless. Why did he shoot the dog? It was probably months later that I was reading something or heard something about rabies and disease that affects dogs, and it just literally kills them. And all of a sudden, that thought hit me. Boom. That's why he shot that dog. A dog that he loved. A light came on my mind, and I said, Now I know why they had to shoot old Yeller. It makes sense now. Do you know what the problem is as it relates to God? Is there so much infinitely smarter than we are? God is than we are. We think we're smart, but we're not. We're still in that stage where we don't really understand why we do what we do on a daily basis. But one of these days, folks, boom. When you see Jesus, the light of the world... You'll say, now I know why he did what he did in my life. That's what it's all about. So until then, all you can say is, don't try to figure God out. You don't have the capacity to. Just trust him and love him. God is a good God. What he does is right in your life. He has the right to do whatever he wants in your life. Don't worry about it when you get confused because God's still working on you and he's not finished with you yet. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've brought us together. And Lord, this passage can be challenging and hard to understand at times, but Lord, I believe you've spoken to us today that you're just trying to say that there's so much that we can do if we just keep focused on you. Lord, I don't know the needs of every man, woman, boy and girl in this room, teenager. I don't know their needs, but you do. And Lord, this invitation we're fixing to go through for just a moment, it won't be very long, is for anybody in this room that does not know Jesus as their personal Savior. That's all it takes. And then he will guide and begin to mold your life the way he wants to. You say, well, maybe I don't want to go that way. Oh, but it's the best way. God's way is always the right way for us. As we stand here this morning, as we sing this verse we're about to sing, if you were to die today and you went to those pearly gates and St. Peter asked you, says, why should I let you in? What would you say? Oh, but I've been good. I've helped people. I've raised money. I've done things. I even went to church sometimes. 
So St. Peter would say, but that's not good enough. You've got to have the key to heaven. And the key's name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? As we sing this song together, have thy own way.